0: A lot of people when they read this account would come to the conclusion, what a miscarriage of justice, what a great miscarriage of justice. And it is, absolutely. Can you think of a great miscarriage of justice that's ever been, been perpetrated, that we're aware of? I think of Lindy Chamberlain. I mean, it happened in my lifetime when I was a young man, a young Christian. Fascinating event. But what a great miscarriage of justice. If you have time this afternoon or tomorrow, Google it and read it. Fascinating story. Also, an innocent person. But fortunately, she wasn't put to death. You know, the Apostles' Creed is an interesting document. It's probably the very first statement of faith. You know, every church has a statement of faith. We've got one too. And it's and it's so concise what it says. And it's an early statement of Christian belief that a lot of the churches, the old historical churches, the Anglicans, the Catholics, the Presbyterians, the Methodists, they all took this Apostles' Creed as as the basis of their statement of belief. And in the Apostles' Creed, there's this little phrase, little part. It says, Born of the Virgin Virgin Mary, suffered under Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. That's very concise. It accurately describes not only last week's sermon, but it will describe this week's sermon. John chapter 19. Verses 17 to 42. But it doesn't tell us. The Apostles' Creed doesn't tell us. That little two and a half line doesn't tell us what exactly happened at Calvary. And it doesn't tell us why it's so important. I see a few of you looking at the picture up there. That's supposedly Herod. A pilot, rather, pilot, not Herod, pilot, with, uh, a big sign up above his head and a person that is representing Jesus Christ. Do you know, the crucifixion and the time leading up to it and the time after it is probably the greatest, uh, theme subject that 's ever been painted, iconic religious art, you know they have other other bits and pieces you know about the, the Bible, but that is the main thing that's depicted and I was thinking about putting up some of the, the great iconic religious paintings to just give you a visual, but you know what they 're sanitized as awful as they can be they're sanitized and I 'll explain that to you in a minute. So I thought, I thought maybe the passion—that's where this uh, shot comes from—would be good for us to just try and get a visual about it. That's what the Lord perhaps looked like after he was flogged. I don't think he would have been standing as upright as that, but nevertheless, gives you an idea, doesn't it? What happened and why it happened is important for you and I to know especially if you want to go to heaven and everybody wants to go to heaven even people that don't go to church time and time again in the paper you see people who are not Christians who aren't believers who never went to church saying he's gone to a better place we hope to see him one day they're being reunited with others that have gone before and all that sort of thing and I've sat in funerals of people who I know are not Christians and yet That's where people hope that they will end up. I also want us to, in particular, understand what it means, that little phrase in verse 30, it is finished. And thank you for the music team for helping me to focus our attention on that by by putting that little uh, last uh, song together like that. I really appreciate it. It is finished. Is it, is it defeat? Is it the end? Or is it victory and a beginning? We'll explore that as well. So in, chapter, in verses 16 and 17 we have Pilate. He gives up Jesus Christ to the chief priests. That's important to understand. To the chief priests. You know, the Romans helped crucify Jesus Christ. That was their, their method of, uh, of capital punishment. We talked about that last week. But it was the Jews that were charged with having crucified Jesus Christ. That's important, brothers and sisters. You know, Peter stood up before the Jewish nation and said in Acts 2, you, you crucify. He didn't charge the Romans. Very important to know that. Crucifixion. 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 I don't know about you, I find those images distressing. I really do. I shared with you last week what I I thought of the passion. Crucifixion. You know, I know it's a film, but that actually happened. Not just to the man called Jesus Christ, but to thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. It was a commonly used method of capital punishment, by the Romans. Crucifixion was the cruelest way to put someone to death, but it was also the most shameful way. A man called Cicero, you may have heard of him, lived before Jesus, B.C., 43 and, he, and uh, he died in 43 and he was about 63 years of age. He was a Roman statesman, a lawyer, a philosopher and he's studied even today and he's often quoted today in philosophical books and things like that. Here's what he said about crucifixion and he saw it. It was used in his lifetime. He said, it is the most cruel and shameful of all punishments. Let it never come near the body of a Roman citizen, nay, nor even near his thoughts or eyes or ears. It was so awful that this man was hoping that no Roman citizen would even see it, let alone experience it. Did you know that the Romans never crucified their own people. It was extremely, extremely, occasionally a traitor, perhaps. But they had a law. The Romans had a law that said you could not crucify a Roman citizen. That's how bad it was. Even if you committed the same crimes as a person that was crucified, it didn't matter. We're not doing it to our own. It was used chief it was uh, sorry originated with the Medes and the Persians, but the chief practitioners, the people that became famous for crucifixion were the Romans. They used it for an awful long time. Great empire, long time it lasted. That's how they, they dealt with capital punishment. It was used for the lowest of criminals, for the slaves, degraded persons, political rebels, for people that cause insurrection, especially in occupied lands. You know, when they conquered, like the Middle East, like Israel. And usually a flogging was uh, uh, endured by the, uh, the person condemned I'm the, uh, to be crucified. When I was a young believer I used to go to a bookshop in Reservoir run by Ron Tibby. Good man, Ron. He's still alive but the bookshop's gone. Christian bookshop it was. And he, he we got to know each other and he uh, he let me buy books, uh, take them home and pay them off. I love that man. And there was a set of Pictorial Biblical Encyclopedia Five volumes It was $250 reduced And I would go every week And just, you know, covered it Anyway, Ron saw, saw it one day He said, why don't you take it home, Rev? I can't afford it I was a young man, a young family We bought a Renovator's Delight uh, And Pauline wasn't working You know, money was tight $250 a lot of money in those days Anyway, I took it home And that's where I got to understand why crucifixion is a shameful death. Because one of the things I looked up in that encyclopedia was crucifixion. And it told me what it was like, how it happened, all those, a lot of the facts you have here this morning, heard this morning, come, came from, comes from this encyclopedic novel, uh, volume. But it said something that, I never knew before and when I learnt it I was shocked and it still bothers me today all the people that were crucified on a cross were naked naked when you think about that you know somebody accidentally comes into the bathroom Oh naked Jesus Christ on the cross. I haven't seen a painting or a picture like that. They're not 100% accurate, are they? What did Cicero say? The most cruel and shameful death of all punishments. Behold the man on the cross. We get down to the next part where it says carrying his own cross and it was customary for the criminal to carry his cross to the place uh, of execution. At the very least the, the cross beam, if not the whole cross, the cross beam. Now Golgotha, we read there that's where the place was, where this uh, event was going to take place, this execution, was approximately 1.6 kilometres or a mile from the palace where, you know, Pilate was holding up that sign. 1.6 kilometres after you've been flogged and beaten and probably didn't sleep that night. That's a heavy wooden cross, isn't it? Hmm. it doesn't tell us in John here in this occasion that we rent but in the three other gospels it says Simon the Cyrene was uh, I guess, forced I think it is when you look at it uh, forced to help the Lord Jesus carry the cross I think the Lord had to carry the full cross not, not necessarily just the cross beam. otherwise he wouldn't have probably needed help I don't know but just think about that Carrying something as heavy as that for 1.6 kilometres. You know, I, I've carried heavy things. You know, I still carry heavy things. I, I've had, you know, treated pine sleepers because they're much lighter than uh, red gum sleepers. I've carried them on my shoulder from the trailer to where I needed them, which is probably about <laughs> 20 metres. I was glad to drop it, I tell you, it's heavy. A man on the cross, carried his own cross, 1.6 kilometres. And there he was, suspended, we read, didn't we, between two other thieves at Calvary. Yeah, you know, I I struggle looking at those images. Yeah, I really do. Despised and rejected of men, it said, and and he was to be numbered with the transgressors. That was in Isaiah fifty-three verses two and twelve. That's an old prophecy. There it is fulfilled. Fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Most Roman executions would have had a centurion in charge. You know, not just this one. Any execution, a centurion was in charge, and usually at least minimum of four, um, four soldiers would be with him. That's what the historians tell us. This one maybe more because it was a, it was a Passover time, lot bigger crowd, very very public event. You know, a lot of interest as we looked at last week you know so we had a centurion and four soldiers soldiers at the, at the cross verse 24 tells us that uh, they they parted his garments and cast lots for for his cloak that's another prophecy fulfilled psalm 22 verses 18 Brothers and sisters, this was not a spur of the moment event. The Lord, as we look through John and the other Gospels, He knew this was coming. Oh, He knew exactly what was going to transpire. You know, I, I, I have accidentally shot a shot a a nail through a finger from an from my nail gun. It was in Caroline Springs. I remember it well. Very painful. I dropped the nail gun, grabbed my finger because it was bleeding. I said to the lady, I'm off to the doctors. And I went to Main Street in Caroline Springs, walked into the doctor's surgery. They were rapt to see me (laughs) bleeding all over the place. Very painful it was. I think I sat for about a minute before they called me in. Now They looked at it. They couldn't do anything. They put a stitch in it. This huge bandage on it. He gave me some, a shot of or uh, one of those anaesthetic things. Eased the pain a little bit. Went back to the job, packed up, went home. Had the rest of the week off. A little nail it was. Believe me, it was a little nail in my finger, which has recovered quite well. But it hurt. It really hurt. So when I see that, when I see that nail going into that hand, To some measure, I I appreciate the pain that the Lord must have felt when the hammer was struck, when it struck that nail. I mean, it piles into comparison. It's it's nothing like that. But I think about that when I see that image and I think, I I don't know why he lay there. Because he did. We get to the next part, verses 25 to and that's that's what it would have looked like. So I skipped the one. That's what it looked like. I mean, you know, there would have been blood everywhere, sweat, spit. I don't know if that's an accurate representation, but I think it would be close. The man on the cross. We get to verses twenty-five and twenty-seven. Interesting passage that we know Mary was there, the Lord's mother was there, but she said nothing. Ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about you mothers out there? What would you have been doing? Yeah, of course, you'd be upset and crying. But just think about this she was watching all that transpired right from the word go. At any point, she could have yelled out, it's not true. He didn't do any of the miracles. He's not the Messiah. He never said he was the son of God. She said nothing. Because it was all true. All those things were true. And she remembered what what Simeon, the, the prophet, told her when she brought that little baby to the temple to dedicate it. She remembered the prophecies. That he told that would be fulfilled. We get in that passage the first of the three sayings from the cross. You know there are seven sayings on the cro- from the cross. Some people call them seven cries. I, I, I don't like that term, but but seven sayings of the cross. And this is at the. one of the the sayings I I don't know what it would have been like to watch this event but Mary was there and she saw it and the Lord in his his compassion said said, dear woman here is your son and to uh, to, to John he said take her home she shouldn't be seeing this Verse 28, I thirst. I say he was thirsty, so what? Brothers and sisters, I hope you can remember a few months back when we first started the Gospel of John. And we talked about the living water. Do you remember that? I hope you do. The living water, chapter chapter 4, John 4. The living water, the water of life. Said, I thirst. Think about it, brothers and sisters. I thirst. I couldn't find a good picture of that from the Passion. So there's a, a represent, an artistic representation. That was the fifth saying, and you know what that also was a fulfillment of a prophecy psalm sixty nine verse twenty one and it 's really interesting that it says there in our in our reading if you have if you 've got it there before you it says there that um, a, wine, a jar of wine vinegar was there, they soaked a sponge on it put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant and lift it up to Jesus' lips. When he received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. There was nothing more to do. That's the sixth recorded saying. The seventh one, which it just mentions there, uh, that it, that he gave up his, uh, his life, he gave up his spirit, that's recorded somewhere else, what he actually said. But there was nothing else to do. It is finished. It is finished. And it's my belief that this little saying is of vital importance for all of us here this morning. In fact, it's important for the whole world. Everyone who wants to be in heaven one day needs to not just read it, but understand it, what it means. Something, brothers and sisters, was finished. Something was finished. The question is, what? What was finished? It's interesting that the Lord didn't say, Oh, I'm finished. It's the end of me. He didn't say that. What did he say? It is finished. Now that's a poor translation as well. It really is. Because in the in the Aramaic Greek, which was this was written in originally, it only has one word there, one word, not three words, one word, tetalestai, just the one word, and that means in the Greek, it means to bring to an end, to complete, to accomplish, and when you read the the grammar of it, and you know, they explain it, what it says, it says not merely to end it but to bring it to perfection or to its designed or desired goal so it means nothing more to be done it is done dusted finished complete whatever you want to to say do you remember john 17 verse 4 what the lord said He said, I have brought you... He was talking to his father, by the way, if you don't remember. I have brought you glory on the earth. Now, you and I would say, yes, absolutely, yeah, you you did the miracles and, you know, told us a lot of stuff, but that's not what it says in John 17, verse 4. This is what it says. I have brought you glory on the earth by completing... You got that, brothers and sisters? By completing the work... You have given me to do. This, this cross, this man on the cross glorified God by dying on the cross, by completing, finishing the work that God, that we talked about and remembered this morning, how you know, that it could create the universe, the stars, the galaxies, human life, and this lady here went to Alaska and saw the pristine beauty of nature, the creation of god 's hand. This is the work that God had given him to do, and he says, "Te it 's finished i 've done it it 's complete, and God is glorified. God has never been glorified any more than that occasion. you know we 're not going to talk about Alaska when we get to heaven. We're not going to talk about the feeding of the 5,000 when we get to heaven. What's going to be the theme of heaven, of glory? The land that was slain on the cross. That's the biggest event for, as far as God is concerned. Nothing more to do. With, with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What was finished? The work the Father had given him to do. What was the work? What was the actual work? To die for you on the cross. To pay for your sins on the cross. To make righteous, make you righteous before God. To gain you acceptance by a holy God and to reserve a place for you in heaven. You know, I can't sing the second verse of that last hymn. I just can't do it. When I first heard that that um, that song, I couldn't sing it. That's what, I'm going to read it to you again. I'm going to try and read it without... Uh, Behold the man upon the cross, my sin on his shoulders. My sin. Now, I know I said it was all for you, but it was for me too. Ashamed. I hear my mocking voice because when that was happening I didn't believe I didn't appreciate and I didn't realise he was doing it for me I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished his dying breath has brought me life I know that it is finished you know sometimes we sing and we sing with joyful hearts. Amen to that. Some of those words. Some of those words are so deep. I can't sing them. I can't sing them. Behold the lamb of uh, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Where have you heard that? At the start of John's gospel. John chapter 1, verse 29. That's how John started the gospel. Behold. That word again. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Your sin, my sin. You know, my sin and your sin prevents us from being accepted by God. It prevents us from from uh, uh, puts us in a condemned position. You know, before a righteous God, it makes us unclean before a pure and holy God. It makes us be in a position where we are have to be punished by, for it. All these things John recorded in his Gospel, it's, all, it's in the, all the other Gospels. It's, it's written by the Apostles. It's written in the New Testament by other writers. In fact, the whole Bible is the story about how wretched man is right from the start in Genesis in a perfect environment, brothers and sisters. You know, no... No, you know, gangs and no violence and no drugs and no nothing. Perfect environment. And Adam sins before God. And ever since then, God thought to himself, need to fix this, need to put this right. Behold, the man on the cross who put it right. Dying for you dying for me paying your debt before God paying my debt before God putting things right the wrong sorry putting things right the wrong things that I have committed now you may not like hearing this you may not you may have been offended by those images I'm sorry about that but it's the truth the truth does that sometimes the truth does offend sometimes the truth is hard to take But it's still the truth. Christ's death was no accident. Not an accident. It was deliberate. It was a divine appointment right through Scripture. You knew. The Lord knew. He tried to tell his disciples that it was happening. Christ's death was not a miscarriage of justice. It wasn't. It brought justification To us, to all of us. Christ's death was not a mistake, brothers and sisters. It was planned by God. And it happened because we've seen all those things fulfilled just like God planned it to happen. That's important. And this one, the last one, is the one that When I was writing this, I I struggled again. I struggled to write it down, and I was thinking. I had to take a had to take a break. Had to have a coffee. Christ's death was voluntary. He wasn't forced to do it. He wasn't forced, and it was an act and a display of love. Of love. Can you believe those scenes that you've been looking at? Does it look like love to you? But it was. He loved us. He loved me so much he was willing to endure all that. Why? Because God did not want you and me to remain in our sin, to remain in a condemned state, to be headed for judgment, for punishment. He wanted us to be freed from the bondage of sin so we can live better lives, different lives, lives that are pleasing to God. And you cannot do it, and I cannot do it. For myself. Somebody had to do it. Verses thirty six and verse thirty seven, two more prophecies fulfilled. Just by the way, not a bone of him was broken, and they looked upon the one they pierced. We come to the end of that passage there, and it comes to verses forty one and forty two. They'd taken the Lord down from the cross dead but there was a new tomb that was hewn nearby and they laid him there in the tomb Isaiah 53 verse 9 another prophecy where he would be buried and we finished that passage we finished that little reading well it was a long reading but we finished that reading with these these four words they laid him there They laid him there. You know, that's where most people's lives would finish. All the great men and women of history. It ends with their death. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a few more pages in this Gospel. Someone's going to tell you something more about it. does it really end there. But the work of salvation finishes. It has finished. John chapter 1 verse 12, it said at the start of the gospel, and we shared this with you months ago, yet to all who receive him, accept him, that's Jesus Christ, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. This is what John wants you to know about this man of Christ. And in John chapter 20, verse 31, he, fin- he more or less finishes his gospel with this that you may believe Jesus is the Son of God, and that believing you may have eternal life in his name. I ask you is there anybody here who doesn't know that man on the cross as their own and personal Savior? Is there anybody? Because if there is, please think about what happened. Try and remember those images. He did it for you so that you would be free from God's righteous judgement for your sin. It's been dealt with. Forgiveness and salvation is available but only through and by the man on the cross closing prayer Father, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to just take a, a few minutes to think about that wonderful event and it was wonderful father for those who who have been the recipients and the beneficiaries of that work it is a wonderful event but it was also awful does God love me look at Calvary absolutely and Father I thank you this morning that there are many of us here who looked at that man on the cross and embraced him as Lord and Saviour I pray that if we haven't done that if there's anybody here who, who's still yet in their sins that they would think about what's been brought before them this morning and may the Spirit of God convict them of their need of a Saviour your Son Jesus Christ Amen